This is a Federal News Network podcast. The following program is produced and furnished in conjunction with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement, which is entirely responsible for its content. Welcome to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Off the Shelf gives a voice to commercial service and product companies selling in the federal market. Roger speaks to members and government officials about procurement policy, trends, innovations, and debates. Now your host, Roger Waldron. Today, my guest on Off the Shelf is Larry Allen. Larry is the president of Allen Federal Business Partners. And um, today we're going to talk about all things government procurement, I guess, or with a focus on interagency, uh, government-wide contracting programs, and, you know, and perhaps a little bit about GSA. So, Larry, uh, thanks for coming on. I'm looking forward to the conversation. Roger, thanks for having me. I'm really happy to be back. Yeah. So, and, and, and you're back at a time, I think, think, I think the last time you were here, we weren't facing what we're facing now in terms of inflation. Right. I mean, inflation has taken off. Um, You know, I'm hearing across the market about, you know, how it's impacting government contractors. What's your take? Roger, I think it it has to be impacting government contractors. Every time you look at a national headline, you see inflation numbers that we haven't seen in cases of 30 or 40 years back to when you and I were much younger probably hadn't uh, hardly heard of government uh, procurement. Uh, yeah, we both had I, hair. Right? Back when I had hair, right. Right, me so too at this point. <laughs> it's, it's inevitable that uh, this is going to impact government contracting, but because we haven't really seen inflation numbers for that long, Roger, there really isn't any policy in place inside of parts of government on how to deal with the impact of inflation on price-based contracts. You know, these are the contracts where you and I spend a lot of our time in the commercial world, uh, and they're based on the prices on government contracts are frequently based on something that somebody's doing in another part of the market, most frequently the commercial market. So there really needs to be a mechanism to address the impact of inflation on these price-based contracts but there really isn't one. So contractors, I think, are finding a lot of friction here, uh, Roger, uh, in terms of needing to increase their prices on their contracts, but not in all cases or even in many cases being able to do that. In the meantime, people in the government, they haven't experienced inflation in a long time either, certainly not in their current positions. So it's taking them a little while to adapt. All right. So, Larry, you know, it seems to me, too, this goes directly to impacting some of the Biden administration's key priorities. You know, for example, I think small businesses in particular um, are going to be hardest hit by inflation. Um, I'm hearing from small businesses who are seeing 20, 30 percent price increases, you know, over their current schedule price. And it's taking months for GSA to process modifications on the schedules. And they literally say, I can't sell it at the price point that I had negotiated on my contract. Otherwise, I'm going to lose literally, you know, hundreds of dollars on each and every order, if not thousands, depending on the size of the order. It's going to drive me out of business. So they're put in a position of having to either 
you know, take the items off the contract or just not participate, not not compete for task orders and just sit out the game. Um, is that what you're hearing from your small business uh, peers? It definitely is, Roger. The companies that I work with that are on the smaller side of things, uh, they really they're the ones that are typically in the least amount of control over what impacts their prices. Uh, they are typically resellers very often. Uh, who are uh, dependent on their suppliers. Their suppliers are commercial suppliers. They pass price increases on to the small businesses, but the small businesses, as you pointed out, aren't able to pass those price increases along to the government. And it really is remarkable because we have, as the federal government, the historic goal of using small businesses and different types of small businesses underneath that. So When we talk about small business, it's important to know we're talking about small disadvantaged businesses. We're talking about women-owned businesses uh, and even service-disabled veteran-owned businesses, Roger, that are really being pushed up against the wall. And as you said, in some cases, really effectively being pushed to the sidelines in terms of being able to even participate in the market uh, because of the impact of inflation. It screams for, dare I say it, an injection of common sense into the government acquisition process. We no, all Larry, no, you didn't go there. Okay. Yeah, the, <laughs> the people in well, we all live in the world, Roger. I mean, right. you the, the people in government have to be seeing this as well. They put gas in their cars, they go shopping for their families. Uh, they have to be uh, seeing the same types of increases that we are. So it shouldn't come as any surprise that contractors are saying, hey, you know, we need some relief. Yeah, and, and it's, so it impacts small, but it's the, the sustainability goals, which you know, I've, you know, sustainability in of itself is a, you know, it, it's going to increase costs for contractors as they try to invest to reduce greenhouse gases and that sort of thing, and the, you know, government procurements going to be planned. All these things are impacted by this. And to the extent you, you, you talk about common sense, I would say I want to get your idea on the sense of urgency. It doesn't seem like um, there's a sense of urgency on the, you know, acquisition, the con- government side in a lot of instances, because um, there are tools in place and flexibilities, whether it's EPA clause and that sort of thing. Roger, there are tools in place, and historically, the government, particularly GSA, has been on an ad hoc basis willing to work with industry. Looking back over time, when there's been, you know, say, a hurricane that wiped out a bunch of uh, forests and simultaneously drove up the demand for lumber for houses that were destroyed, GSA was willing to work with companies that had furniture, that had wood furniture. Uh, steel prices, when steel prices went through the roof, they were able, they were willing to work on an ad hoc basis for that. So there's, there's definite precedent here. Unfortunately, there's also precedent for a lack of any cohesive approach to this problem, the problem of inflation, because it doesn't just impact one part of commercial item contracting. It impacts the entire uh, marketplace for commercial contracting, and there needs to be a comprehensive response. And again, it, it shouldn't be that hard. We shouldn't be seeing this lag of reaction time. It's almost as if 
the government really wants to take advantage of contractors, including the small businesses we just talked about, by dragging their feet and not bringing the type of economic relief that's needed. I don't think that that's really fair. It's certainly not the spirit of partnership. Uh, We know that there are other competing interests. You mentioned some of the socioeconomic ones. Uh, We understand that those are administration priorities, but so too as an administration priority to increase the amount of business going to small disadvantaged businesses. You can't be a successful small disadvantaged business if you're not allowed to keep your prices current with market reality. And today that includes accounting for inflation. So Larry, along those lines, the sense of urgency, um, I think we've, we've covered inflation pretty good there. I think Um, I want to turn, we have about a minute left or so, but it's, it also, it's the sense of urgency seems to me also, and I'm hearing from companies who have submitted mod requests to GSA, you know, over a year ago to add products, you know, you know, address price changes, things like that. And they're still waiting on those mods. Um, so you're, 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 you're injecting inflation in you know, a situation where that's occurring and I'm starting to hear about it more and more from companies. It, it's just flat out unacceptable, Roger. Uh, this is a lack of leadership on the part of people in government. They know what's happening. Uh, they need to get out and uh, get in the lead, senior managers. You know, there are multiple things that uh, impact contracting officers' decisions. One specifically in GSA we know of is fear of the inspector general. Uh, that may be in uh, part of what's being fed in here uh, with the foot dragging. So this is a, a ten, this is an issue that demands the attention of senior leadership uh, if they're serious about wanting to give small businesses, but really businesses of all sizes, a fair shake. So, Larry, at that, at, on that note, we'll end this segment. When we come back, we'll just talk about some ideas around the structure, perhaps that could help address some of these issues. Uh, you know, around the, the schedules program. My guest today is Larry Allen. He is the president of Allen Federal Business Partners. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Larry Allen. Larry is the president of Allen Federal Business Partners. We're talking, um, well, we talked a lot about inflation uh, in, in the first segment, um, Larry, and you know, just to wrap that conversation up and, you know, GSA does do, you know, their prices are good. You know, at the end of the day, there's been surveys that have done in the past that have shown that. But, you know, in this case, it's a bit penny wise, pound foolish, because in the long run, you're going to lose, you know, competition and access to the market if you don't adjust prices to reflect market realities and you're going to lose that small business and small disadvantaged businesses but in the meantime what are contracting folks or ordering activities going to do they're going to have to turn to the open market uh, and and prices there are significantly higher than on the schedule contracts because GSA does negotiate those prices and does, you know, do, you know, overall do a pretty good job at getting, you know, a pricing that's very competitive. And you go up out on the open market for some of these things and they're two or $300 more than what's on the schedules, pro- uh, uh, on the schedules program. And so there's just some context there that I think, you know, you and I share that, you know, there's, you know, they, if they can address this and they're still getting a good price. 
at the end of the day. That's right, Roger. I couldn't agree more. I think the bottom line is the schedules program still has a good role to play. GSA can serve its customers really well by allowing reasonable price increases. They may pay more through the schedule, but they're still going to get a good deal relative to the open market. And that's a good thing for them to point out to their customers uh, who might otherwise have to go and get good competition on the open market and pay even higher prices. So hopefully we can get uh, some movement on this. Yeah. And, and when you're thinking about, you know, GSA and FAS and the schedules program, um, perhaps there's an opportunity coming out of the pandemic. I wanted to ask you about this. Um, you know, what, you know, I mentioned in the last segment, the time it takes to address modifications and additions and that sort of thing. And, you know, and, and the concern about the slow pace in many cases, you know, perhaps, you know, and with the post-pandemic world, we have a, you know, hybrid world or, or a virtual world that's going to continue. You know, maybe there's an opportunity to look at how, um, you know, the acquisition workforce is organized at FAS to try to enhance, you know, sort of the optimum performance, discipline, accountability across the workforce and just improve overall performance in meeting customer agencies' needs through the schedules program. Roger, I agree with you. I think that when you look at the schedules program, the multiple award schedules program across the board, it's a 35 to $40 billion a year program at GSA. And when you crank the VA sales in, it's much, much more than that. So it's a very big program. Almost any other program of this size inside government has an actual management office. And the schedules has a program management office taking nothing away from the good work that Stephanie Shutt and her colleagues do there. They do a generally very good job, I think, but they don't have enough authority. And what we're talking about here is the authority to really oversee, educate, uh, and direct the acquisition workforce. Now, the way GSA is set up today, you have kind of an IT silo, you have a professional services silo, and you have a, a general supplies silo. And that really means that you don't really have a, a lot of consistency across one program. Uh, you also have acquisition people who are reporting to uh, different leaders who sometimes may have differing views uh, on uh, how the program is supposed to work and what their contracting officers should prioritize. If you're going to actually have a functioning multiple award schedules program, I think there's a good argument to be made for having a centralized real management office that doesn't just oversee the policy and operations, but also gets to manage the acquisition workforce. Roger, just a brief history lesson. Back in the day, we actually promoted the creation of a multiple award schedule czar for just this purpose. And I believe we had Carolyn Alston in mind. I'm not really sure that Carolyn would want to come out of retirement for this, but that shows you that this is an idea that's been coming up from time to time. Maybe now is the time as we come out of the pandemic to really look at it seriously. Yeah, and and interesting thoughts there, Larry, and I can guarantee you that (laughs) Carolyn does not want to come out of retirement (laughs) for any reason, let alone (laughs) become the czar of the schedules program. Um, (laughs) that would drive her back, you know, away, away, away. But, um, 
yeah, uh, I think think the idea that there's an opportunity from an organizational perspective um, to look at how operations can be optimized in this post-pandemic world. I think every organization needs to be thinking. I mean, they are, they have during, people have reacted, right, during the pandemic, addressed, moved to Zoom, virtual, Teams. Um, you know, we're partial to Teams myself, but um, <laughs> <laughs> this, but um, we've sort of been reacting in a lot of places, I think. Now it's time, I think, as we move to a different stage, you know, in this, you know, historical, you know, period to think about how organizations best work to can work in what will likely be a hybrid world. And I think GSA has that opportunity too. And I know, you know, there's a lot of industry partners who you know, could provide some really good feedback to GSA about operations generally um, and how, you know, to best communicate, engage with industry because it can't just be fairly virtual. It's got to be in person. It's got to be, it's going to be hybrid. We know that. But how can we optimize overall communications and effectiveness of operations? I think that's something well worth um, the community taking a look at. I really agree with you, Roger. I think that any large organization should periodically look at its organization, how it's structured, uh, look at whether or not it's really meeting the needs of its customers. Uh, Are there ways to make better use of the workforce assets that you have. Uh, And as we go back to work, at least in a hybrid format uh, in government, uh, this is a very good time to be able to look at that uh, structure. So, and get to your point, I thought of something sparked when you mentioned about, you know, the different, you know, organizations having different approaches. So that's a good segue to, you know, so you have the IT category, and they're looking at, you know, they're starting to look at the Alliant 3 or the Alliant 2 follow-on, which is other than small. And then they have Polaris, which is sort of, you know, the Alliant small business follow-on, you know, you know, revisited or, you know, launched, relaunched. Um, and they're two separate contracts. And then you have the professional services category, the Services Mac, where their initial focus or strategy was to combine um, small and large all into one contract um, and make it almost like a schedule in a lot of ways, I think is fair to say. So there's two different approaches right there to two overlapping markets. Um, any thoughts on that? Uh, I, absolutely, Roger. I think that, uh, you know, in the, the discussions with the IT category, I know the coalition recently had a discussion with uh, Alan Hill and Amy Hazeltine from GSA about, uh, accelerating work on Alliant 3, working name, as well as going after a ceiling increase for Alliant 2, uh, I think those are very good steps. Alliant 2 has proved to be uh, extremely popular with uh, government agencies, which is what you hope for in a GSA contracting program. Uh, and I think that they're doing very good work to reach out to industry uh in both of those uh, operations, both to plan for what comes next and to make sure the current contract remains a good viable option for uh, years to come. Uh, I know also that on the services side, the GSA services team is doing a very good job of reaching out to industry 
on hearing what their uh, thoughts are on the Services Mac, the follow-on to the Oasis contract. Uh, I'm not sure that on that front, Roger, that the industry's message is always getting through. Uh, I think there's some concern in industry among the putative approach that GSA is taking to this, uh, to the Services Mac. Uh, I think we need to have some more discussions about that and really make sure that you know, you've got a program that's workable, that meets as many needs as possible, but comes with the realization that no one program is going to be able to provide the soup to nuts, door to door solution that uh, maybe GSA would like to to think about. I think that might be biting off more they can more than they can chew. Right, so. Larry, we have to take a break. When we come back, we'll unpack that last, uh, you know, observation a little bit more, and just also sort of talk, you know, talk about this trend that we're seeing is sort of convergence, right? They're all these contracts. There's not the differentiation between them is becoming very blurred, and we can get into that what that really means and what that is when we come back for the next segment. My guest today is Larry Allen. He is president of Allen Federal Business Partners. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Waldron. My guest today is Larry Allen. Larry is the president of Allen Federal Business Partners, and I almost said systems. So it's, I guess I got systems on my mind. So maybe we'll talk about systems in a minute. But um, Larry, um, so... When we took the break, you you had made a, a quite compelling statement about services Mac and what you know some of the things people are are thinking about with regard to it. Um, can we unpack that a little and just like it's you mentioned something like trying to be all things to all people? Um, you know, just what are your observations about it and um, where do you see it headed? I think there are a couple of major observations here. One is that. With the most recent draft release of the statement of work, GSA added a couple of significant categories that they're thinking about, including in the services MAC. And while those are important categories, I think overall, when you start expanding the scope out, it's an unbelievably broad scope. And it begs the question as to whether or not any organization could manage the full depth and breadth of these offerings well. Uh, um, I think there's, uh, I'm a little concerned about maybe the organization trying to do too much at once, maybe trying to do too much through this one contract. You know, historically, and you and I have talked about this, uh, GWACs and non-schedule contracts, they've had some more specific focus to them. Uh, you've got one for telecommunications, you've got some for IT, you've got more for IT that are set aside for businesses of different types. Uh, So, you know, there's that classification and specificity, whereas the services Mac now really looks to be, boy, I don't know. I hope it's got a sounder foundation than the Tower of Pisa. Otherwise, it's going to start leaning pretty quickly. Uh, The other issue that I see with this is the unified contract approach. Uh, I think there's real concern among industry and probably inside customer agencies that are big users today of Oasis about the unified approach. 
uh, relative to having a an unrestricted contract and then a small business companion. You know, you noted when we started off the last segment that you know, GSA itself has kind of taken that approach with the IT contracts, with you have Alliant and now Polaris. Uh, that's kind of not officially the companion, but so close. Uh, you see uh, GSA has done that previously with Oasis, with Oasis Unrestricted and Oasis Small. And you have small businesses that have done tremendously well on Oasis Small Business. Uh, but you also have problems with protests, Roger. We saw the Alliant 2 program, small business program, burn up on the launch pad over protests. More recently, we've seen over a year's worth of delays to the NIH CIOSP4 contract due in large part to successive protests that have come with a slew of uh, RFP modifications to it. I think GSA runs the real risk of having protests that would either cripple or substantially delay the rollout of a new services Mac, uh, perhaps beyond the effective date of Oasis, because they're they're not working under the longest of runways in terms of time here. Uh, And that would be a real disaster for GSA, a disaster for contractors, and a disaster for government customers. We don't want that approach. I think that GSA ought to seriously look at having a small business companion contract for the services Mac and an unrestricted, uh, not to say that that's going to magically solve all of your protest problems, but it's going to solve a lot of them if our recent history is any guide. And it's going to give a discreet place for small businesses to live, compete, market themselves. Uh, That approach has proven to be a successful one in the past. Uh, and I think it's something that the agency ought to think of moving forward. Well, it's uh, so also it's just been very effective. I mean, I, I want to say an Oasis program between Oasis Unrestricted and Oasis Small Business, 40%, the overall Oasis program, 40% of the do- dollar volume approximately has been going to small businesses over the life of the contract. I mean, that's well above the government goal of 23%. That's a successful formula. And I think the reason it's successful is that it's a streamlined approach at the contract administration level where you're issuing task orders. You can make your decision quickly to go to like the small business one, and then you have that pool of contractors that are already in place, boom, you go. Or if you're unrestricted, you know, you go in that direction. But it, you know, I think it saves agencies a lot of work in their acquisition planning when you have that menu of choices and, you know, whereas combined, I think it just increases the complexity of setting things aside at the order level, et cetera. Um, And you can see the complexity that we're now seeing with CAOSP4 in terms of just trying to get, you know, past the finish line for, you know, an award, I guess, um, an evaluation of proposals. So, um, to your point, I think those are yeah, the it, it works. It has works. It has a great track record, um, which also begs the question: just call it Oasis Two, right? <laughs> right? Right? That's what people, customers. It's all marketing is a big deal, right? Whether you want to use the term marketing or not, it still matters how you present and package things. And I think you know, Oasis is not a, a brand to walk away from at the end of the day. 
I, I would agree with that point, Roger. Absolutely. Oasis has been extremely successful as a program. It's gotten good brand name ID. I've had companies approach me ironically over the last year saying, hey, how do we play in this? They're obviously not traditional service players, but their customers are telling them, hey, we want to do business through Oasis. So I get people saying, you know, what is this Oasis? You know, how do I participate? It's obviously something that now really resonates in the market. Uh, The other thing that Oasis has been really good at is by vetting the companies that are able to get on the contract. Uh, You know, you want to have a reasonable barrier to market entry that allows small businesses to play. And we talked about small businesses in the first segment today. But you also want to give government customers uh, a comfort feeling that they're going to be selecting among companies that have a proven capability to deliver the solutions that uh, the agencies want to have. And I think there's a lot to be said for having uh, a contract where you've got a certain amount of prove it behind you. And what I mean by that is experience, Uh, Past experience, you can show that you are capable of doing projects that uh, would be done under this contract because you've done them before. Uh, Provisions, perhaps, and we saw this on uh, CISP4, provisions for teaming agreements and joint ventures. That's always uh, an approach to consider as well. But I think there's a lot to be said for having a contract that maybe has a little bit higher market uh, entry barrier than the schedules program does to handle those more complex acquisitions and give that comfort level in to the customers. That's what they're used to with Oasis now. And arguably that's something that's important for them to be able to rely upon on the successor contract. Well, Larry, well, you know what, we're up on the break and when we come back, I guess we'll keep up on our, theme of all things GSA and talk a little bit about uh, the cloud marketplace, the potential cloud BPA. And you mentioned the telecom contract EIS, perhaps how those two sort of inter- the interplay between them or not, um, or just in terms of examples of what's done potentially could be done under either. Uh, my guest today is Larry Allen. He is the president of Allen Federal Business Partners. I'm Roger Waldron, and you're listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. Welcome back to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. I'm Roger Walder. My guest today is Larry Allen, president of Allen Federal Business Partners, and it's an all-GSA show, interagency contracting. You know, um, and Larry, I know we, we were talking about services, Mac, but at the end of the day, you know, one of the things this is originally envisioned as potentially down the road is some sort of the, the one services contract for government. And I don't, you know, that's not, not going to happen ever. You know, and it's not even happening you know, in a certain sense within GSA. When you talk about, you, know, you have the IT services, which operate under a whole separate authority, the Klinger Cohen Act and executive agent designation. The schedules have its own statutory authority. And Oasis and the, you know, services MAC operate under GSA's general, you know, the Property Act, their general authorities to provide procurement uh, services to, you know, to the, to the government in general. So it just on a, and I put my lawyer's hat on there's just, there's all different competing authorities, but reality is there's just different contracts and customers want to have choice. Um, 
is that, I mean, you articulated concerns. I just want to get to the heart of it. Is it, is it just, it's just trying to do too much. Is that your, one of your concerns? It, it is a prime concern, Roger. I just think that GSA is trying to do too much with this one contract. Your point about there being alternatives and those alternatives are going to remain is a good one. Uh, you can't, nobody can do everything well. One of the things I always tell my clients is, look, you need to bring some focus to the government market because not even the largest contractor can be everywhere at once. That same type of advice would be well taken by GSA uh, to focus their services Mac a little bit more on some core things, the things that they're able to do well, maybe tweak the Oasis scope a little bit, but not make a whole lot of changes lest they find that uh, in trying to do all things well, they do nothing particularly well. Right. Or even, you know, I wouldn't say trying to do all things well, when you look at the overall portfolio, how does it complement? How do the different programs complement each other and either fill gaps or support, you know, specific different customers like to use different things. And, you know, when you start to make, try to make something that looks all like everything to all people, you kind of lose your, you do, you lose your, your focus, you lose your sort of brand identity and, and how it, um, you know, how it, uh, you know, how customers view you in a certain sense too, it seems to me. I I think you're exactly right. Um, This is uh, advice that companies pay for and then ignore. Um, (laughs) But uh, both companies and GSA should take it to heart. Right. So, so Larry, uh, you know, I mentioned at the end of the last segment too, just uh, the cloud BPA, cloud marketplace GSA is working on. And, you know, they also currently have in place the telecom contracts, EIS and networks. Um, you know, just um, just what's your thoughts in that overall area? Well, Roger, I was a real skeptic of GSA's cloud BPA program to begin with, because there are so many existing platforms on which federal agencies can already get cloud solutions from GSA. Uh, and that remains true, whether you want to get it through one of the IT contracts through the schedules, whether you get it through the EIS telecom contract, there are lots of different cloud platforms. GSA's rationale for wanting to do the cloud BPAs, though I think is intriguing and worth a look because what they're really trying to do is develop specific solutions that are tailored to unique customer requirements and using the blanket purchase agreement format they believe will enable you know uh, specific task orders to be individually tweaked to get to what specific customers want to buy what their needs are it's that ability to customize and tailor that i think is really driving gsa to set up the cloud bpa but it brings some interesting questions in okay this is a arguably a reasonable approach to cloud contracting uh, and it's uh, agile to overuse an already overused word (laughs) as based on an existing contract, the schedule. So we don't need to do an entire new procurement. That's a positive thing. Uh, Then you look at GSA starting to uh, say, well, you know, we have our EIS contract. 
We've had for the last 25 years or so large telecommunications contracts. Uh, do we really need those moving forward? Uh, and with the idea that, you know, what you're really looking for for customers is customization and tailoring not just their cloud solutions, but their telecom and other solutions as well. And you look and see what the use have been uh, use has been of VIS so far, Roger. It's frankly been a little underwhelming. It's been really, really slow to get off the starting out of the starting gate. Uh, if you look at FY21 spend numbers, for instance, the old networks contract did 93% of what uh, EIS did in all of FY21. Uh, there just doesn't seem to be a real compelling reason for agencies to go uh, and use the new EIS contract uh, as much as GSA and industry had hoped they would. So what they're really looking for, I think, agencies is more of that individualized approach. Maybe that's something that GSA will look at uh, for EIS moving forward and use the lessons learned from the cloud BPA that they're doing uh, as a foundation for that. Right. Do you, I mean, historically, hasn't transition always been a, a, you know, kind of a challenging area for for industry and customer agencies? It, but, it really has, Roger, on these telecom contracts. And I don't want to blow it out of proportion. The business on EIS is coming and will come more. Yes. Uh, having said that, though, GSA recently announced that it's going to extend the ordering date for the old networks contract, uh, which is, a you know, I think a nod to reality that they needed to do that because that was the feedback they were getting from customers. So the business on EIS will come. It's going to be a viable contract. Uh, depending on who you are, it may already be a viable contract. But the transition, Roger, from uh, FTS 2001 to networks took a long time. The transition uh, from FTS 2000 to 2001 took a long time. It just seems like every iteration we go through, the transition from the old contract to the new one takes longer and longer to the point where most people think EIS is a brand new contract and GSA is already talking about what comes after it. Right. So, so, um, uh, you know, I want to turn, we only got a couple minutes left, so I want to turn to, we are, we talked a little bit about, you know, coming out of the pandemic and looking at organizational structures are there are other things as we think about back to work or what, back to work will look like uh, hybrid virtual you know fully back to work every day whatever the choice is from a organizational slash employee perspective you know are there other things that that um besides look taking a look at how your organization is structured and how you'd optimize in a new world order so to speak are there other things that the procurement community should be thinking about from your perspective I, I think there are, Roger. I think, you know, as much as we talk about procurement being a process-oriented uh, undertaking, you and I both know that it's equal part relationships. And you can have a certain amount of relationships via Teams and Zoom and whatever other format you're using for online discussions. But there really is no substitute for getting together in person. So one of the things that I would hope to see as the workforce returns, 
uh, and it's never going to return full time for lots of reasons. But as it does return, I think we need to start planning for in-person gatherings. We need to start planning for uh, in-person gatherings. We need to start planning for uh, conferences, uh, larger gatherings of, of people from industry and government who can get together. If they haven't uh, shaken hands for a couple of years, this would be a great opportunity to catch up. And there are a lot of newer market entries and new people on the government side that have never shaken hands. And it's important to be able to do that as well. So one of the things I'm hoping to see is that we will get out from behind our screens, uh, get out and start to talk to each other again. When industry and government communicate effectively, Roger, is when government acquisition works the best. So that's what I'm hoping to see. And I think in-person discussions drive a lot of that communication. Uh, I couldn't agree with you more, Larry. Um, I think you're right on point there. And I'll just close by saying, I also think it's critically important to start looking at how to optimize in-person training. You know, you talked about conferences, but just even training for the acquisition workforce, whether it's government or industry, in-person virtual training has its place, you know, but in-person training is where you can really engage with people and people have different situations, the scenarios they've been through. It's like, it's that conversations at the, you know, at the water cooler kind of thing, like in sharing experiences that I think is a big part of learning. And I hope we get back to that as well. So, and I want to thank my guest today, Larry Allen. He is the president of Allen Federal Business Partners. I'm Roger Waldron, and you've been listening to Off the Shelf on Federal News Network. You've been listening to Off the Shelf with Roger Waldron of the Coalition for Government Procurement on Federal News Network. Tune in Tuesday mornings at 11 or subscribe to this show on iTunes or Podcast One.